Hello, everyone, and welcome to Speaking with Joy, a podcast to fill your soul, challenge your mind, and make you brave. I'm your host, Joy Clarkson, and an evangelist for all things good, true, and beautiful. So make yourself a cup of tea, find somewhere comfortable, and let's dive in to this week's episode. Hello, friends. I am so happy that you have joined me on this lovely Monday or whatever day you happen to be tuning in. This is the fourth in my series of Aggressively Happy podcasts. We've been exploring the themes in my book, um, Aggressively Happy, A Realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life. The first week we talked about deciding to live. The next week we talked about befriending sadness. Last week we talked about floundering well. And today we're going to talk about remembering that you have a body. But I wanted to pop on quickly and give you some announcements. This week my book officially launches on February 15th. And to celebrate the launch of this book, I'm going to be releasing an episode every single day, one for each uh, chapter in the book, um, with a different conversation with someone about kind of the themes that are explored in the book. And I am so excited to share these conversations with you. I've been recording them over the last couple of months, and each one of them um, encouraged me and inspired me and was honestly just a blast. Um, This book is about what it takes to find and keep a sturdy center of joy. And in doing that, I got to talk with people who I think have done that really well and explore themes that I think um, help us center ourselves and find some sanity and joy and beauty and hope. So I hope you will tune into each episode this week. And if you like them, share them with your friends. And I also want to let you know there will be a few events. I'll be doing an Instagram live, um, probably at... uh, I'm trying to think about this. It'll be 1.30 Eastern on my Instagram on February 15th. So tune into that and there will be giveaways and, and lots of fun things happening on social media. So find me at Join Us the Brave on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and follow along. And I hope that you will enjoy this week's kind of special burst of podcasts. And I'm especially excited to start the week off with a dear friend who features in the book, and is someone who has taught me uh, many times and is continually a reminder in my life of what it means to steward the bodies that we have well. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode of Speaking with Joy, which explores the theme of remembering that you have a body. Oh, and of course, don't forget to get your copy of Aggressively Happy, A Realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life, out tomorrow everywhere. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing any, lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being doubt unimaginable you? From E.E. Cummings, I thank you, God, for most this amazing. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to my Aggressively Happy series of podcasts. I am absolutely delighted today to be joined by artist, scholar, writer, and most importantly, a friend, Jenna Reed. Welcome to Speaking with Joy, Jenna. Thank you so much. This week, we're going to be talking about um, the chapter, well, we'll be talking about many things, but we're vaguely connected to the chapter, Remember You Have a Body, in my book, Aggressively Happy, A Realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life. And the reason that I was particularly excited to have Jenna on this episode is that First of all, you feature heavily in in the chapter mm-hmm. itself, um, and and this is funny because we can tell more about the story in a second. But um, my brother Joel has also written a book, and Joel and I realized that both of us inadvertently, without talking to each other, featured a story in which we were morose, angry, um, difficult to handle, and then Jenna fed us <laughs> and ministered the love of God to us via food. And, um, and so Jenna is someone who often in my life reminds me that I have a body and feeds me good food. So she seemed like the perfect person to come on and talk about 
how a part of happiness and growth and hope in life is attending to our needs and and not hating our bodies. Is that right, Jenna? That's right. So um, why don't we just very quickly recap um, a bit of the introductory story uh, so, so people will understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure. Do you want to give it a go? My, sure. my version is in books, That's which people true. will read, hopefully for years to come. So <laughs> let me hear your side. Uh a few years ago when Joy and I, really when we had first met in the first six months, our friends and us went on a trip to Paris. I guess I should give the important context of the way that we met each other was we both did the same master's program. Yes. In Scotland. So from Scotland, we traveled to Paris for a weekend and saw many great things and walked many, many, many miles in <laughs> our sad, floppy rain boots. Um <laughs> But we had a grand time eating croissants and things, um, looking at art, mm. um, standing in awe in churches. Um, we had a gl- glorious time. But towards the end of our trip, we went back to the Eiffel Tower to get one, mo- one more photo for our friend Macy, specifically for her grandmother, who is French. And we're tromping along through the gravel and getting ready to take some more photos. <laughs> Enjoy from behind me, eventually exasperatedly sighs and says, how long are we going to do this? <laughs> and I remember, I don't even remember being irritated. I think I thought it was so funny <laughs> because I could see that you were, you were just so dearly tired. Um, <laughs> yes. And we had skipped breakfast for whatever reason and we really needed to feed Joy. <laughs> 30 minutes ago, but nevertheless, we were now standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. There were more photos to be taken, and then we shuttled you off to a cafe, and we ate some glorious pieces of cake and other things, I mm-hmm. think. Um, well, it was a, I have this very specific memory. It was a weird cafe because you didn't pay for food. You paid for time. That's right. That? Yes. So you, you could just... And then you could eat whatever you want. So I, I remember... I remember eating carrots and hummus. Uh-huh. I think we also had like cake and various yes. things. There were like lots of different things to eat. Yes. And I remember just like, you guys were just, you know, chatting it up, having a nice time. And I was just sitting there in the corner like, I, I was just full of kind of like indistinct rage. Uh-huh. Um, yes. As, as does happen to the best of us at times. Yeah. Um, and partway through the conversation, um, our friend Macy mentioned something I don't, really remember how it came to be the thing that really sticks in my mind is you parroting it back but exclaiming breakfast party at the top of your lungs in this cafe (laughs) um and that was the birth of your what would become your birthday party a few months later Mm -hmm. when we in my flat made a breakfast party for your birthday and do you remember we we sang happy birthday yes and then the people outside my flat yes. cheered. Yes. Because um, I, I lived overlooking a very busy street, and there were quite a few people outside, and there were yeah. the windows were open, and the, the people passing by <laughs> clapped and applauded at the end of yes. Happy Birthday. Which made me feel very, um, very celebrated. Yeah, it seemed right. Yeah. And what's really funny is um, hearing you tell that story from, like, the witnessing perspective, mm-hmm. because, like, I remember the story vividly from my interior world, mm-hmm. which was just, like, this this gradual dissolution. And, like, I, the funny thing about it was I probably knew I was hungry, but I don't think I was self-aware enough to be, like, I'm full of rage because I am hungry. Mm. And so I was just like, oh, my gosh, why are we... Why are we at the Eiffel Tower? Why are we taking all these pictures? And and it, in the book I talk about this, but it was funny because like objectively, I was at the Eiffel Tower with my friends on a beautiful sunny day mm-hmm. with crepes, the smell of crepes Nutella wafting through the air and Vivaldi playing with a string quartet by some street performers. And I was just absolutely sullen. Mm. Um, and so... Yeah, so I just, I remember that very vividly, and then you fed me, and then I thought about, I think the reason I exclaimed it was just, it just seemed really exciting to have a breakfast party. I think it was exciting. Yeah, and I think the the reality of it was, in fact, exciting. Yes. And I think we're tentatively planning on having something like a breakfast party on Tuesday. Yes. When the book launches. 
Yeah. Because Jenna is with me in real life. Isn't that glorious? It really is. <laughs> um, so I told this story in the book because it is an example of one of many times in my life when I have had some kind of social, emotional, existential crisis, uh, which could have been resolved had I merely had a snack. And this is something which happens uh, frequently in my life. And I was thinking about the titles of the chapters. You know, they're all verbs um, followed by various commands. And this one is the only chapter that has an exclamation point. <laughs> um, because I think it's the thing that I frequently forget. And I think there are many ways to forget one has a body. One can forget by not eating. One can also forget by not sleeping, mm -hmm. by not drinking water. By leaving on one's heater and waking up dehydrated, as yes. I did this morning. Um, by, by, by not being, by not touching and receiving love and affection from other people. Um, there are, by not exercising, by exercising too much. There are just many, many ways to just kind of forget that we have bodies. And then that contributes to our lostness in life. Mm. Um, Jenna, do you forget you have a body? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I think it happens less now than it used to. Um, as you were just talking about all the all the different ways that we can forget, I think those are almost mirrored in the numbers of ways we can remember. Mm -hmm. um, but I often, I think my current, my most usual forgetting is I'll, I'll forget to eat. I'll be too... Um, submerged in a task or in reading or in a painting or whatever it is and not out of any malicious intent on my body but just I will I will realize oh I missed lunch it's four o'clock mm -hmm. um yeah the the forgetting you have a body I think happens to all of us in various ways mm -hmm. um in varying degrees some of us are much more prone to it than others mm-hmm yeah, and I think the reason I said remember you have bodies, I think a lot of us don't actively hate our bodies. Um, you know, that is a thing that we can do, mm -hmm. and that's a big thing to think about and overcome and talk to people about. But I think a lot of us just, it's like, oh, you just forget. You forget to eat. You forget to um, to take care of yourself. There, I remember there's a great little moment in um, the movie... Uh, Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce. I think it was called that. I don't remember. <laughs> With William Wilberforce, where after he um, he became kind of more serious about his faith, uh, he was like a very decrepit man. Uh, mm -hmm. So he defeated slavery in in the UK, uh, kind of through a technicality. Um, and there's a there's a statue of him in St John's College in Cambridge, and he was like he very unwell. He was addicted to opium his whole life. And there's this scene in the movie, which is like kind of a nice way of saying this, but where his, you know, one of his servants sees him and he's like laying in the grass and he's been praying because he's been having this religious awakening. And, um, and his servant is like, uh, so he says something to the, to the, to the idea of like, you know, now you're so aware of your soul, you've forgotten you have a body. Mm. And, and I think Wilberforce, that was actually, like, very consciously true. You know, mm -hmm. he was so dedicated to his ideals in many very admirable ways that he actually did destroy his body. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, to me, that's kind of the forgetfulness, not the active hatred of, just the kind of acting as though this isn't somehow important, this thing that we right. move through life in. Yeah. Um, yeah, why do you think we do that? I'm not sure. I think one of the things I often see, and you have heard me sort of uh, be on about this often, um, mm. that we're so busy. Mm. Um, it's It feels self-important or prudent mm. to keep going mm. um, and to be neglectful of ourselves. Um, we're just busy people. Mm. Um, we've got kids to take care of mm -hmm. and papers to write and mm -hmm. classes to go to or in William Wilberforce's case slavery to defeat we have things to do yeah. what we can't be bothered to sit down and have a cup of tea or mm. to make ourselves a 
a good dinner or to go on the walk we should mm-hmm. have gone on mm-hmm. earlier today. Um, our busyness rules mm. us in a lot of ways. And I think for many people that tends to be a major source of their forgetfulness. Mm, just being busy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful because I think sometimes it's funny. I think conversations around whatever you want to call this self care can be weirdly fraught either because you're made to feel guilty for forgetting mm-hmm. your body. You're made to be like, what an idiot you're supposed to exercise and be on. And it becomes this like other way of being busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it becomes like a added pressure on top of what already made you forget your body. Or, or sometimes people cast it as this very indulgent, you know, self-important thing. Right. Um, yeah. And I think, I think that all kind of boils down to, yeah, it's just hard to take care of ourselves. I do sometimes wonder if that's that sense of needing to always be busy. Some of that I feel like is just reality of life, right? Like I look at my sister and she has three babies and like, you just, it's hard not to forget you have a body when there's three other little bodies to take care of. Mm -hmm. Um, but then some of the busyness I think is, I'm not sure how we've become bewitched, but I feel like it's just a kind of bewitching nature of the modern world we live in. I saw a thing recently, um, and by a thing, I mean an article that talked about how we objectively have more free time Mm -hmm. than previous generations in our jobs, but people sleep less, read less, do less leisure activities. And, and that I think is something to kind of pause and go okay hold on why is that happening yeah I think um something that helps me to think about is boundaries but Mm -hmm. sometimes boundaries is a word that is fraught for us or Mm -hmm. is that feels um too harsh to Mm -hmm. to bring into our lives especially if you if you do have three kids you're taking care of yeah it's hard to build boundaries around Mm -hmm. you know little lives um Mm -hmm. But little porous um, lives, right? <laughs> but thinking about maybe framing it as margins, mm-hmm. like how do you build margins into your life? Um, is it two minutes walking yourself in the bathroom and just taking a couple deep breaths? Mm-hmm. Um, is it five minutes of just centering yourself before you mm-hmm. go into your next class? Is it twenty minutes after work doing yoga? Is it what, where are the margins that you mm-hmm. can give yourself? Um, because even though we objectively have more free time, mm. um, we're sort of fragmented. Mm. And so, I feel like that word describes a lot of life these yeah. days. So finding ways where we can um, reintegrate ourselves, mm. um, where we can kind of clear out some of mm. the debris that a fragmented life leaves behind. Mm. Um that there are so many ways to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that also becomes another way that we, um, punish ourselves. We think, Oh, there are so many things I should be doing so many things. Therefore I should be, you know, building in margins in this way or building boundaries in this way or taking rest in this way. Mm Um, but choose one thing, Mm -hmm. choose just one way to, um, reaffirm the dignity of your body. Mm -hmm. Um, and do it for a week. Yeah. Even if it's two minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Um, one way to just like give yourself a little bit of acknowledgement. Like my body is here and it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, we can act like this is like a thing that we have to make. But your body is the thing that's moving you through these days. Mm. Doing all these things that you feel desperately that you yeah. must do. Loving people, caring for people. Um, so it's not somehow self-indulgent to do that right you write about it in the chapter about um when we are able to to give to ourselves we're Mm -hmm. able to give more to others yeah well and that um that it's kind of built into what it is to be a human is to have needs Mm -hmm. i was thinking today about how funny it is that we um i i think i apologized to someone this week for being needy (laughs) and then i was like wait why, why is that a bad word? That's just a neutral word. Like, mm-hmm. need is something... It is something that either you, you do need something or you don't need something. Right. So if you are needy, it is simply you have needs. 
Um, yeah. And so it's interesting that we have this kind of negative connotation around that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I you know, it's funny, too, because I think I'm a fairly um, not needy person to a fault. Mm. Um, so, okay, so I think that there's one version of this where we just, it's easy to forget we have bodies because life is demanding. Mm-hmm. I think there's another version of this where... Um, we think that the really important stuff in life doesn't have to do with bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in the, the book, I kind of paint with broad brush strokes, talk about that. People use this phrase very loosely. Gnostics were like a whole group of people. Like, yes. huge, yeah. like there's a great deal of um, nuance, nuance to be put on Gnosticism, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the general idea was like gnosis. This, this is a helpful thing, right? The idea of knowledge or illumination. It was this idea that reality was really found in this illumination and that that didn't have to do, that was some kind of spiritual ideal mm-hmm. that we all needed to achieve and that we could achieve it by um, getting free of not being dependent upon our bodies. Mm-hmm. So my favorite way of talking about this, I bring this up as often as I can because I think it's so <laughs> cool and weird, is um, so St. Augustine was involved in this Gnostic kind of offshoot called the, the Manichees or the Manichae, Manichaeism. Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, that the divine idea had been trapped in bodies and that the way we would achieve salvation would be to get out of the bodies and that that's kind of what Jesus was doing somehow. Um, Complicated views, again, nuance. (laughs) But one of the things they did, this is just a side note, was that they, um, they, they didn't eat, they were vegans, so they didn't eat anything that was an animal byproduct. They didn't believe in reproduction. You, there's a part of you that has to like kind of you know push your glasses up and go. I wonder why this didn't survive. Could it have something to do with the fact that none of them were having babies? Um, <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, but they they didn't re- they didn't believe that it was good to reproduce. And they not only did they not eat animal by- byproducts, but they ate like foods that they thought particularly had to do with light because I think gnosis also has to do with light. You know, mm-hmm. being illuminated. Yeah. And so they would eat melons. And cucumbers, because you can see light through them. So they were like, it's um, it's, it's extra freeze your soul from your body. Mm-hmm. So that's great. So this, you know, that's an elaborate way of saying, you know, n- none of us relate to that. I mean, actually, I guess there is probably a category of people for whom that, that description probably is not far off, who don't want to have children, who... Yeah, that that's that still exists. Not necessarily saying it's bad, but it's it is that that's not so far off from modern people. We yeah. might say it was really bizarre, but it's really not. Yeah, I mean, we could easily draw analogies. We um, could. Yeah. Anyway, but what I wanted to talk about was love is blind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> the Netflix TV series, which I'm in no way promoting. Uh, also, I think I talk about this on the next episode that's coming out after this, which. Makes it seem like I think about Lois Blind a lot more than I do. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but this this TV series has all these people who desperately want to get married, and they all, it's like a dating show, and they, they go, and they sit in these pods where they're like, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, just be shallow and physical. I just want to sit and get to know someone's soul. And I'm like, this is really interesting, because it implies that there's like this, that some, that the most important part about you has nothing to do with the body that moves through the world. But I'm like, how would... Okay. Voices come out of bodies. Mm-hmm. And even in that situation, you're being connected to the voice. But also, um, this is nitty and gritty, but like your body, you... you, Most of the things that will be involved in marriage, not on a like a... On a attractiveness level, just like on a... The food you like to eat, the, the places, the things you like to do with mm-hmm. your body... The, um, the experience you have based on your ethnicity or your, your background, like those are all things that are connected to your body that profoundly shape who you are. So I thought it was interesting. That was kind of this other little example of like imagining somehow that, uh, not just forgetting your body, but being like, we need to get away from it Mm -hmm. because the most important part of you is this mysterious gnosis, gnosis knowledge that we can somehow discern by sitting in a pod. Yeah. What do you think of that idea, Jenna? <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's Are you are you just processing me comparing Manichaeism yes. to a Netflix dating show? <laughs> I am. I am processing that. Um <clears throat> it's 
you can understand the the premise, right? Yeah. That we don't want to be superficial mm-hmm. in the sense that we uh, only give people who are we we are automatically or mm-hmm. initially attracted to a, a shot. Mm-hmm. So we understand the premise, but yeah. the implications are so strange and widespread <laughs> and interesting. Um, Yes, I think there there are so many things that we could observe about <laughs> love is blind. Um, but it, it just makes me think about how, you know, this idea of remember you have a body mm-hmm. could take us so down so many mm-hmm. tracks. Um, we can talk we could talk about, you know, body image issues mm-hmm. or we could talk about um, diet culture or mm-hmm. gym culture mm-hmm. or um so many things but if you just back up a little bit and Mm -hmm. recognize like you have a body yeah it is how you move through the world Mm -hmm. it is the source of your voice Mm -hmm. it is um, whether that voice is vocalized or if it's signed or if it's written um your body is a mediator of it it's from what it's where it comes from right and it's so um closely closely involved if not always involved in how you move and breathe and and are in the world um mm-hmm. your experience of the world um so it's funny that we can even talk about forgetting it yes um, since you're in it all the time <laughs> exactly it's this really weird thing but i think that's as funny as like you know there's the version of we just forget we have bodies because we need to do things and take care of people mm-hmm. but then there's this version of it where we're like where we actively try to figure out some part of our, like we actively are trying to get out of it or, yes. or escape it mm-hmm. or, um, and we see that take really malicious routes. We mm-hmm. see that take what appear to be benign, mm-hmm. um, or non hurtful routes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it in certain forms of Christian prayer. We mm-hmm. see it in, um, certain kinds of mindfulness and Mm -hmm. meditation activities. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes down to it, we have bodies that are needful. Um, They have needs in the real world. And when we neglect to meet those needs, Mm -hmm. we do ourselves and others harm. Yes. And I think um, from, from my own like theological perspective, I think, Forgetting bodies isn't just, to me, it's not just we will do ourselves harm and it, we won't be as functional. Because I think that's oftentimes what kind of comes through is like this. Well, you'll be, if you forget your body, you should take care of yourself because um, if you take care of yourself, you'll be able to serve others better. Mm-hmm. And that is true. You know, you I, I can't care for people, love people, cook people good food um, if I am a tattered mess with no no sense of contact with myself. Yeah. Um, but I think that on the note of thinking about, you know, the really important thing is somehow outside or separate from my body is actually means that we then miss out on if there's actually some kind of truth or goodness in these bodies we have Mm -hmm. the idea that these bodies aren't only functional, they're also good. And, um, and I want to read a little passage from on the incarnation by Athanasius. Athanasius was kind of the early bulldog of the theology of incarnation. So he was actually, he, so there was, you know, these several centuries of contention over what, what, who or what or how Jesus was. And one of those things that, that went on and on was, uh, was Jesus kind of like an appearance of God or was Jesus, you know, not really God. And, uh, and Athanasius's, um, kind of war him, uh, was that, Jesus was God, and Jesus really had a body. And you get this as early as, you know, in, in John's Gospels and in John's letters. Um, but And he really actually received a lot of pushback. In this. Like, most of his life he was considered to be... I can't remember if he was a heretic. I think he I was. do think he was uh, on and off. Yeah. I think it depended on whichever church council was sitting, yeah. whether or not he was a, a heretic or not. Yeah, well, and you get that with people like Origen, right, who, like, mm-hmm. I think died thinking he was fine and and then was declared a heretic later so 
Anyway, it's an interesting time period. But mm-hmm. Athanasius spent most of his life kind of beating this drum of Jesus was fully God, Jesus had a body. This has lots of implications for us. And um, and his famous work on this, which you can, which is worth reading, it's very weird, as many of the things are, but very, very readable, is um, on the Incarnation, which you can find for free online. And I'm going to read you this uh, section from it that I really enjoy. You know how it is when some great king enters a large city and dwells in one of its houses. Because of his dwelling in that single house, the whole city is honored, and enemies and robbers cease to molest it. Even so it is with the king of all. He has come into our country and dwelt in the body amidst many, in one body amidst many. And the consequence, the designs of the enemy against mankind have been foiled, and the corruption of death, which formerly held them in its power, has simply ceased to be. For the human race would have perished utterly had not the Lord and Savior of all, the Son of God, come and put an end to death. So what I find really significant about that is two things. One is he doesn't see the body as the enemy, right? Okay. Um, you don't have that Gnostic sense of Jesus came to free us from our bodies so we can all go to heaven and be okay. He, he has a sense of, first of all, he describes the body, the physical world, as being honored by God entering into it. So mm-hmm. he's kind of saying... Everything you could touch and see, um, God has entered into it and said, this is a good thing. I like this. I, I'm coming to honor it, mm-hmm. to make it honorable. Um, and then it, he sees the thing to be defeated, not as bodies, and not even in, in a way as sin. I don't mean that he doesn't want to defeat sin, but he sees the thing that needs to be overcome as death, that, that these ways in which our bodies are broken is what Jesus came to defeat in in the incarnation and he's and he's really drawing on that like in john when john says you know this is how you know that you're hearing the true gospel as if someone believes the lord came in the flesh um so this is a nerdy side note but the point is that athanasius sees jesus as honoring the human body which means furthermore that uh that salvation comes through entering into and healing our relationship between our body and our spirituality, not from departing from it. Right. What kind of implications do you think it has if we think about bodies not just as like, okay, well, they're functional, but but as sources of healing or of sources of goodness, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think... when we reframe how we think about our bodies from sort of utilitarian or practical um, vessels by which we do stuff, mm-hmm. um, we are able to glory in the material mm-hmm. um, in a way that I think we we easily lose. Mm-hmm. Um, this betrays a little bit of my uh, bend theologically, I suppose, but um, our bodies are good mm-hmm. um, and matter has an ability to be good. Be good. Um, so when I'm thinking about the fragmented life that... Mm-hmm. Um, technology tends towards Mm. for me um a world where going on a walk Mm. is good and beautiful restful restorative um is possible Mm -hmm. because my body is good Mm -hmm. um my body is not perfect Mm -hmm. um the king still needs to rescue and right. save us from the enemy of death. Yeah, I don't, I don't want it to, to be misconstrued by like that. But there's so much possibility mm-hmm. that opens up when we accept that um, hu- humans are made mm-hmm. as humans with bodies. It wasn't an accident, and that you know the incarnation has meaning for our bodies and for matter and um, that the created world was made and that it was good Mm -hmm. and um, it might be a little broken, it Mm -hmm. might be a little bruised, but Mm -hmm. 
it's not um, something we need to escape from. It's not something to be escaped from. It's not something to be at odds with mm. um, at all times and in all places. Mm. Um, I think those are some of the implications. Mm. I think, um, I guess when, I, when you're saying that, I was thinking the incarnation is just a reaffirmation of that kind of genesis. He created it and it was good. And, and I think, I think when we, when we start to think about matter and bodies as not a design flaw, right? It wasn't like, oops, we put them in flesh vessels. Right. Darn it. I meant to do just ethereal, like, (laughs) mist. Uh Uh-huh. Um, then you start to have the possibility of thinking, did God, is there something, is there a gift in this? Is there something to receive, to respond with and joy, to to be attuned and that and that kind of brings us to then when you're remembering you're having a body it's not just going oh I have to remember I have a body because I need to be able to care for my children do my job and contribute to society you're going it's it's this kind of new joy where you say I have a body God gave me this body this body can give can touch can heal like there's this joy remembering that you have a body results in this kind of joy of this is a gift this is this is God's love to me. Um, and that's a whole different kind of turn, I think, mm-hmm. that kind of gently pushes back against that fragmentation. Mm-hmm. I think it also opens up um, a possibility for curiosity mm-hmm. um, when you stop beating yourself up mm-hmm. um, for not resting enough or mm-hmm. drinking enough water or sleeping enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and when you accept, like, my body is good, mm-hmm. and it's opening you towards new possibilities, one of those things could be curiosities of, mm-hmm. what else can my body do? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I can learn something new. Maybe I can learn a new instrument or mm-hmm. try a new practice or experiment in a new sport mm-hmm. or create a new meal mm-hmm. um there's possibility a creative possibility that opens mm-hmm. up when um <laughs> there's a acceptance that this is not a thing i'm at, at war against um and it's not just a tool and it's not just a means to an end yeah um it's not just a means to an end of eating dinner every night. Um, But there are creative possibilities open within that. It reminds me of watching my nieces and nephews. And you also have nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. and grandchildren. Uh, I feel like that, I feel like watching children develop physically (laughs) is like an endless, um, like continuing process of them realizing these possibilities, you know, from kids when they're crawling to then I think about like, I don't know, uh, Lillian learning how to catch a ball, mm-hmm. but also is super interested in twirling and dancing. Yes. And there's just this sense, I think, that children have where they haven't yet... I don't think children have adopted the idea that their bodies are bad or that they are... that they're for... So they just... There's this kind of endless joy and discovery. Mm-hmm. Lots uh, of play. Yeah. And I think that play play is something we've been talking about recently. Mm-hmm. I think also that goes back to the fact that when you're a child, like to get to be an adult, you, like those early years of of childhood, you became who you were because you were just this, um, as Gavin would say, my advisor, (laughs) a latent lump of humanity (laughs) that was just endlessly needy. You know, all you could do was need food, need sleep, need touch, need, you know, there's just this need, need, need. And Actually, out of that need is what comes development and possibility and play. Mm-hmm. And why do we think we're different than that now? Why do we think that foundation of need, need, need is not also still linked with possibility and growth and play? Yeah. I'm not sure where that breakdown happens. I think it happens for different people at different times and places. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many... There's as many answers as there are people to that question, mm-hmm. I think. But play seems to me to be perhaps the simplest um, way to, to respond to remember you have a body. Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you feel prone to forgetting you have a body, mm-hmm. um, play might be the easiest way to remember. Yeah. Um, and I've met a lot of adults who can't remember the last time they played mm-hmm. or explored or did something fun mm-hmm. um, that connected them back to their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um even if it made them feel silly or um, <laughs> a little out of control, mm-hmm. um, how good that might be for mm-hmm. us. Yeah, absolutely. How do you play these days, Jenna? I've been playing with paints. Mm-hmm. Um, I am taking boxing classes. You are. <laughs> um, which might not sound like play, but I feel utterly ridiculous um Mm. for a couple hours a week and that's been really good um Mm. play could be watching a film that you loved as a child Mm -hmm. Um, getting to down to that just that i think play comes with the sense of lack of utility mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm going to say one other church father and then i'll be done (laughs) Um, and this is um, actually a church mother. I had this argument with someone on my podcast a few years ago about whether Macrina ought to be called church father, but I don't want to call her a church father when I call her church mother. Um, Can we just make it them church parents? Church parents. Would that be terrible? No. I don't think so. I don't think so. Anyway, so, um, well, I don't, yeah. Uh, church parents or I'm happy to have her as my church, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Macrina. Sister of um, Gregory of Nyssa and... Uh, Basil the Great, mm-hmm. uh, who were both were two of the three Cappadocian fathers who helped formulate the language about the Trinity and the Creed. Um, but she really should not be known only as sister because she was a very interesting character in her own right. Um, and she actually homeschooled Gregory of Nyssa. <laughs> That's one of my favorite fun facts. Um, Basil went off to, to school and when he came back, he was all puffed up. There's actually a section in her biography where Gregory's talking about how Basil comes home and is full of Greek ideas <laughs> and it literally says he's puffed up and that Macrina deflates him, which has been the role of sisters ever and on. Yes. <laughs> um, but Macrina is this wonderful character. She's portrayed in Gregory's writing as kind of the, the Socrates to his Plato in the sense that she is the one who educates him and he does this particularly in a a book called On the Soul and the Resurrection and it's about he portrays it as him going to visit her um, when she's on her deathbed and he's just really torn up about this he can't imagine life without his big sister and um, and he goes to her and he's like I'm a Christian but I'm super sad and I don't know what to do about that um and, and, and he says, you know, I know I shouldn't be so sad. I know I shouldn't, you know, be so worried about you dying. And you would think this would be a moment for her to be like, don't worry, I'm going to heaven where we will all be together and it will be nice. Um, but she instead goes on and on about, about bodies and love and grief. And she talks about, she says, basically, so she's, she's arguing for the resurrection. She's kind of doing a platonic thing where she's talking about why, why we will have bodies again in the resurrection. But what she's, what she's getting to is she says, when you do not despise the needs you have in your body, because God created you like an animal. She's like, it's actually, think of yourself like an animal. He's, she's like, you're an animal with a soul, which means that you need souls, according to Macrina, are like these non-desirous things because they don't, desires come from having a body. They come from needing to sleep, needing to eat, needing to make love, whatever. There's this sense of, this is a bodily thing, where souls are just kind of like, they participate in God who's, you know, chill. (laughs) Maybe I won't put that into an academic article. But the sense that God doesn't need things, uh, according to this way of thinking about things, whereas humans do and and animals do. So she's like, you are like an animal and that you have all these needs. But God makes you that way so that you will be drawn towards him. And every time you have a need, whether it's to eat or to sleep, or when you grieve because you have lost companionship, you are reminded that God made you and wants to care for you. And that ultimately he will satiate all these needs. That there's this endless journey into you having needs and God being like, I can't wait to fulfill that. I can't wait to meet that need. And it reminds me also of um, Julian of Norwich who says, you know, God made you and he loves you and he cares for you. Those kind of three separate things. God makes you, 
but God also, you know, God makes this body that you have, but God also loves this body that you have, and God also delights in caring for it. And that there's this sense that what if every time we experienced hunger or weariness or, you know, need, we actually went, God loves me. God and the people around me want to fill this need. And this need that I'm experiencing isn't somehow a threat to my maturity, my meaning, my... It's it's a reminder of what it is to be a human and that to be a human is to need and to have those needs fulfilled. And that we do that, you know, through each other and through other people. Like, when you fed me, when you have fed me on numerous occasions... <laughs> Even this more low 15, I guess we've been recording for a while, 30 minutes ago. Um, that's a chance for me to be like, I'm a human. I have needs. That's wonderful. That means that other people get to fill them and God gets to fill them. And that's what it is to be a human being. And that's very special. And I like it. <laughs> um, but this is all very heady. How... Can people, what are, what are some simple ways you, I'll put this more specifically, recently, talk about some ways you play. What are small ways to remember you have a body? Um, not, not onerous, not another to-do list, not another stressful thing to add into life, but what are, what are some of those two-minute ways to tune into the grace of one's body? Hmm. Taking a big, deep breath. Mm. I think we don't we don't know how to breathe. Mm. Um, go look up um, a breathing exercise um, and really learn how to breathe into your diaphragm. Mm. Fill your lungs with oxygen. Mm. Um, I know that it's a, a joke on a, amongst the internet to go touch some grass. <laughs> but um, do it. But do it. Go touch some grass. Um, touch a tree. Go on a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, hold someone's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, buy yourself some flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, My, I think I must be really remembering that I have a body this week <laughs> because we have tulips. I have daffodils. I have a little. I have a little pot. Two little pots. Flowers. Flowers. Yeah. Make yourself something that delights you. Mm. Um, food, or if you haven't picked up your paints or your pen in a long time, spend just a few minutes doodling. Mm. Or, you know, maybe you used to write poetry, but you mm. haven't in a long time. Write one line Mm. in your notes app on your phone. Mm. Um, There's so many little ways Mm. that we can connect. Um, What's one of your favorite ways Mm. to remember you have a body? More recently, and I told you this recently, it's been baths. Mm. Um, Yeah, I didn't used to be a bath person, but everyone in my life is a bath person. (laughs) They're so good. They are good. And I think there's something... Well, for one thing, it's just you literally... Your whole body experiences it. Yes. Um, It's very relaxing. It also makes me feel like a little kid a little bit. Um, And it's also... I don't know. It's kind of a non-utilitarian way of bathing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like you come out and you're clean. um, But you also are more relaxed. And so that's that's been one for me recently. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think also... And, you know, this is a very single person thing that I can do right now because I don't have babies and, you know, spouse. Um, But just uh, adjusting my not feeling like I have to be a morning person. Mm -hmm. Um, In the sense that I might be awake just as many hours in the day as everyone else. They don't have to be the same hours unless my job demands it. Right. And, well, my job does not demand it. So, um, So that's a weird way of being like, I'm, I'm not, we're not all cogs in the machine, and so we don't all have to be on the same, yeah. Right, yeah, even to rephrase that, 
we are not cogs in a machine. Yep. Um, st- stop treating yourself like that. Yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking about how um, these this all might look different. For different people. For different people. This will look and feel different based on your um, abilities, mm-hmm. um, your financial station in mm-hmm. life. Um which is why I think the language of margins has helped yes. me to think about, um, you know, what what's accessible to you. Yes. Um, take what's accessible to you. Yes. Um, and I think what we find is often more than we initially thought it's is yeah. um, within our grasp or within yeah. our reach. Um, yeah. And... Um, and sometimes our needs feel really big and painful. Mm. Um, we talked about, you know, be, having needs as a, is a human thing, but mm. our, our neediness can even feel mm-hmm. so different. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have chronic pain or mm-hmm. chronic illness, your needs, um, mm-hmm. look, feel, and are, are experienced in significantly different ways mm-hmm. than those without, um, and there can be a lot of bitterness and anger and pain associated mm-hmm. with those needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but taking the permission to reframe those mm-hmm. as much as you can mm-hmm. or as much as you want to um, as ways in which you can connect with mm-hmm. other humans and ways in which God may minister to you mm-hmm. um, can be really good things mm-hmm. something we haven't talked about we you touched on your uh undefined rage at the beginning <laughs> um in our standing in front of the eiffel tower but even anger i think can mm-hmm. be a way for us to be in our bodies mm-hmm. um so long as our anger does not hurt ourselves or others um oh yeah anger is a perfectly respectable emotion mm-hmm. um to allow yourself and, to feel. And so maybe boxing is a great yeah. outlet for you. I will out myself as an a- sometimes angry human. <laughs> Where things anger me. And but you need to go punch something. I need to punch something. Or I need to go on a long run or on a walk. Or mm-hmm. write angry poetry. Or um, listen to music. Or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, um, I really used to drum to really intense scream over me. Yeah. So to have... Um, but that's also a part of being in touch with your body. Exactly. And um, it reminds me of in uh, A Wrinkle in Time when Meg is fighting the thing. And I can't remember which. I think it's this is who says, stay angry, little Meg. Mm. Um, and sometimes you need to. And a part of that is being attuned enough to yourself that you go, hmm, I'm feeling this in my body. Where is it coming from? Yeah. What's it telling me? What does it mean? Yeah. And that, I mean, it's, where is it coming from? Where does it need to go? What does yeah. it mean? Where is it coming from? Is it HALT, the mm-hmm. acronym you use? Yes. And the, hungry. Um, yes. Uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Is that where the emotion is coming from? Can mm-hmm. I solve one of those problems? Yeah. Maybe you can't. Mm-hmm. Maybe you are angry for a perfectly respectable reason that cannot be solved yeah. at that moment. Um, Maybe you need to go bellow into the night or a friend. Um, Also, this is something I feel like I need to say with every single one of these chapters is um, we should not take from this, I should go and and remember that I have a body all by myself and make sure that I take care of everything. Like sometimes we're so complicated because our bodies are so essential. Figuring out what they need, how, how we're doing. Sometimes we need, not sometimes, we need other people to help us. Often, yes. Yeah. Or we need practice mm-hmm. in our identifying our needs. Mm-hmm. Um, we need practice in articulating mm-hmm. and speaking out loud our needs. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I are similar in this way. Yes. We will often go too, too long without ever voicing the needs we have. And then just explode. Um, yeah. Which and is a good way of being like, the, the explosion that sometimes comes from not acknowledging mm-hmm. it is a good way to be like, ah, but it will, they will get you. Yes. The needs will get you eventually. Right. Your body will catch up. That is yeah. that is kind of the, the latent promise in being a physical being. Is yes. 
You can't just forget your body. It will catch up to you. Yeah. Um, and often in dramatic, um, aggressive ways. Yes. Um, if you don't not sleep. Not aggressively happy ways. Not aggressively happy ways. <laughs> if you do not sleep, if you do not eat properly, if you do not drink enough water, all of these things are like simple physical needs. But if you don't listen to the music that you that your soul is hungry for, that your mm-hmm. ears are hungry for, um, it'll catch up to you. Yeah. It's true. I think that's a big part of, um, you know, the phrase, remember you have a body. It's just a statement of fact. You do have a body. Yep. And this has implications for your life mm-hmm. because your life exists in this body. Yeah. And it has implications in the sense that you must take care of it or else it will perish. But it also has implications for you'll miss out on the gift of this body that God has given you if you don't intend to it. And there are so many, and that's not something to produce guilt. There are so many reasons we have trouble listening to our needs, knowing how to move forward. But if we can just, a little bit at a time, start attending to our bodies, and then think of that as, as my mom always says, yourself speaking to yourself. Hmm. You know, kind of listen and say, if I'm feeling really anxious, really angry, really tired, really whatever... What is yourself saying to yourself? And then furthermore, when you take care or when you seek satiation of those needs and you get them, see it as a, as a moment to rest and know, I am I'm loved. This is good. It, God wants me to be whole and, mm-hmm. and, and taken care of and, and at peace. It's a good thing. It's not indulgent. It's literally what you were made for. Would you say to your baby when you feed it, this is really self-indulgent? No. <laughs> right? That's that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, so those are a few ways of beginning. I think the last thing I would say, too, is, and you said this, I think more is available to us than we think. One of my, um, one of my advisors, supervisors, and my masters used to say, time is elastic. And things will get done in the time that you have to do them. Um, and I was actually just thinking about her today because she sent me an email. But I think that that's true sometimes. If you just make, if you if you put the wedge in for that little margin of 10 minutes, um, time will make a way. Time will be a stream that, that goes around the rock that you make mm. um, for that moment of caring for yourself. And so even if it's a very small thing, do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Just do it. Um, do you have any last words, Jenna? I think the the last thing I would say is to be gentle. Mm. Be gentle with yourself. And um, I love that you just used the example of would you look at your baby and say, oh, yeah, that's so self-indulgent. Be as gentle with yourself as you would be with a baby, with a dear friend, mm. with a child, mm. with your aging parents. Mm. Um, ask, would I want this for them? Mm. Would I want this margin? Would I want this rest? Would I want this dignifying of my body for them? Mm. Um, give yourself those things. Hmm. And I will add to that, too, that I think that we diminish our capacity to have compassion on other people when we hate our own needs. Because I think sometimes what we can do is think, well, I'm working so hard. I'm pushing so... I'm, I'm going, going. Why can't other people just be okay? Yeah. And if you're on the reverse side of that, where you see people pushing your boundaries and your margins because they don't have their own boundaries and margins... That is not an imperative on your life. Yes. We should do... Wow. We could just... That's a whole other... That's me on boundaries. Here we go. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you, Jenna, for being on this talk with me and for being someone who helps me remember that I have a body. It's been a delight to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I want to uh, end by reading um, Psalm 131, which is one of my favorite psalms and... 
um, on the note of babies. Uh, the word picture it is painting is human beings as, as weaned children. So it's that sense of a child who no longer needs to um, get milk from, from the mother, but just finds comfort there because that's where they have learned to find comfort. And I find great, I just find it very beautiful and very, um, very comforting to remember that this is a way that I can relate to God and I can relate to myself as, as a weaned child who is not, is not too sophisticated to confess and her needs and experience God's kindness in them. So this is Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord, nor my eyes haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Put your hope in the Lord Israel, both now and forever. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this week's aggressively happy episodes. Don't forget to tune in next week and to pre-order your copy of Aggressively Happy, A Realist Guide to Believing in the Goodness of Life, which you can find wherever books are sold. Have a lovely week and remember to rejoice though you have considered all the facts.